Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Comic Spotlight, the show where we spend time looking at an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. The hope here is that we can do a deep dive into an indie comic that you may have missed or give you a chance to talk about one of your favorites with us on social media afterward. I'm your host, Tony Farina of DC Comics News. I've been reading comics since I was 12, and while I love a good superhero battle, I gravitate towards indie comics and standalone graphic novels because they give artists a chance to connect to readers in different ways and tell stories they may not be able to tell in the traditional comics or with traditional novels. My guest today is the 20th century geek himself, Mr. Scott Weatherly. Hello, Scott. Hi, Jenny. How are you doing? You all right? I'm very well. I cannot thank you enough for coming on and doing this. When I, when I thought, okay, I'm going to start the show, how can you not have Judge Dredd early on if you're talking indie comics? And who, could, who is, in my opinion, the person that I know who knows more about Dread? Nobody but you. So I'm really pleased that you're here. So I appreciate you being willing to well, do Well, no, yeah, thanks. Thanks for me. I'll tell you what, because I've listened, you know, you've, you've, you've pilot episodes out so far. And I, I, at this point, I've listened to it. So I'm, I'm enjoying this. Uh, and yeah, any chance to speak about Judge Dread, I'm, I'm going to jump at it. So this is an honor for me. So I'm really Yeah, well, and I know you are the expert in soon to be, you know, at, at different levels. So I really appreciate it. So thanks. I'll give just a little bit of a background and then we'll get started. Um, so Dread was created by John Wagner and Carlos Esquera for 2000 AD, but interestingly enough, um, they didn't like the direction the character was being taken, so Dread didn't actually appear in the first issue. Uh, but he did appear in issue two, which was on March 5th, 1977, when I mm-hmm. was four. So I yeah. wasn't reading this at that time. Um, Dread, though, his, what he is, his bit of a background, and I'm going to turn this over to Scott in a second because he's the expert. He's a street judge in Mega City One, which is essentially the entire eastern seaboard of North America. He and his fellow judges act as judge, jury, and often executioner. Now, I'm admittedly somewhat knowledgeable about Dread, but for me, it's a no-brainer to have Scott on because he can help us get through all these things. But for this episode, because Dread has been around since 1977, we actually thought it would be a good idea this is a new podcast to go back to the beginning and focus on the first few years of dead of dreads run so we're going to focus on that that initial run in 2000 AD, which will include the robot wars and the scorched earth series and we'll end right there because i think in that area where we kind of see the dread that we know today and we actually see quite a bit of different dread too and I'd like to talk about um, the evolution of the character and the evolution of comics in general. I think um, we have a lot to say about how 2000 AD and Judge Dredd in particular changed the way we see uh, modern day indie mm. comics. So I'd like to talk about that if we have time. So, so Scott, so I, I don't know how old you were when Judge Dredd first appeared. So just tell me, like, when did you first see Dredd? Why is he so important to you? You know, well, just go for it. 2000 AD is, is uh, it's been around since 1977. I was born in 1981, so it's sort of even before my time. Um, but it's a bit of a sort of a, a, a cornerstone of British pop culture. Um, British comics in the gen- general sort of comes from um, a company called DC Thompson, which is based in Scotland. And they were responsible for such comics as like the Beano and the Dandy and, and sort of all these other comics that were very kid-based, you know, sort of like rapscallions doing silly things and all this kind of thing. <clears throat> so that was sort of the, the predominant thing. And there were boys' comics, and it was, it was, there was like Eagle, which was Dan Dare, and these other bits and pieces. But they were never, like, really risky or anything like that. So they started to fall by the wayside in the sort of like the, the mid to late 70s. And... Um, 
the, the comic creators, artists and writers, especially, let's say, so John Wagner, Carlos Esquerra, who's obviously a Spanish uh, artist, were looking for other things to do. And uh, John Wagner uh, uh, has a friend called Pat Mills. Uh, and Pat Mills is obviously working for DC Thompson. So, no, no, this is, this is crap. I'm, I'm, I'm bored of doing these comics. I want to do my own thing. I want to push the boundaries. And so he took it on himself to then create with John Wagner at uh, 2000 AD. And the sort of the remit was to do adult sci-fi and fantasy stories that were accessible for kids. So they tried other things. There was another first uh, comic before 2000 called Action. And they had co- uh, sort of like a variance on a lot of the characters like Dread, but they were very uh, grounded. So you had like a sort of like a beat cop or whatever in that or a policeman. And when he got beaten up, the, the police, you know, the, the senses were a bit like, mm, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit real. That is, especially in the 70s. A little chew on the nose to have a Yeah. Cup, sure. Yeah. So they decided the only way to make it accessible and sort of palatable to the critics was to say, well, all right, it's in space or it's in the distant future or they're not, they're not, you know, Russian invaders. They're actually alien invaders and all this other stuff. So that's how sort of 2000 AD came about. And it was something I knew about as a kid on and off. Like I knew older kids that read and stuff. And I was very much of the Beano generation I, you know, when I was a kid. But I have a vivid, vivid memory of going on a day trip with my nan. So this is sort of like I was a kid. I must have been like sort of like seven or eight. And being given some money and being told to go into the newsagents, the paper shop, and pick a comic or something to take with us to read on the trip. So I went in and I looked at my usual, you know, sort of like I say, picked up the dandy, picked up the Beano, the, whatever the other ones were. And then there was this orange cover and on, you know, it was just it was a bright fluorescent orange. And in the middle of it was Judge Dredd uh, jumping, sort of like tearing through the comic, as it were, on the back of his lawmaster. And the lawmaster's obviously he's like his big um, motorcycle. Yeah. And, and I was just like, what is that? <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. And what it was, it was, a, it was an, a reprint comic of the early Dredd stories. It was called The Complete Judge Dredd. And the fact that we're talking about the Cursed Earth saga today is fantastic because that's what it is. Nice. It was the, f- the first one I ever picked up was, was sort of about a, a third of the way into this Cursed Earth saga. And I just, I reread that so much and it fell to pieces. I'm not, you know, I can never remember which issue it was. But it, when I got home, I, thought, I remember thinking like, who is this? What is it? No internet then. So I went down the news agents and I was like, who is this? I want to know more. And they were like, oh, that's from 2008. I was like, oh, I've heard of that. And that was it. I was hooked. That was that was me in then, really. So nice. So you were you were still pretty. I mean, so you didn't have to go back too far. It wasn't like you were trying to, you know, like somebody now who maybe is listening to this and is like, I've seen the Dread movies. Uh, mm. You know, I hear there net, there's going to be a Netflix series. You know, they've got forty years of reading to do. You didn't. You only had to go back about you know five or six years. Yeah, I mean, I went back to sort of like, so it was probably like late 80s. So I went probably about oh, 10, okay. years. So, 10 years. 10 years. But even so, the, the, the thing is that because 2000 AD was printed to be disposable, I mean, think of like, you know, the 1930s pulp annual uh, magazines. It was very much like that. It was cheap paper. They were supposed to be um, uh, disposable. And as you sort of alluded to before we sort of started, we recorded, you know, before we started recording, we talked about that period. Like, there were no collections. Right. You know, they, they did not reprint these in collections. So, yeah, it was like, right, I'll start collecting 2008 and I'm going to start picking up this complete Judge Dredd because that'll tell me what I need to know. Um, and that was it. So that was me sort of like, and where I could, like, you know, charity shops or friends. I, I had, um, I remember actually when I started secondary school, some, someone I knew 
older me was gave me a bunch of their two early 2000 ads um and uh you know for my sins they they've gone they did not survive unfortunately of course but yeah no it, it became 2000 AD was my entryway to all comics like after that that was when i went off and we you know um jumped on the whole the big two and image and the whole lot after that yeah because in 80 so if you're talking 87 you're mm. you're at the forefront of the um you know the vertigo revolution was happening shortly after that and uh and for us in america and, and um you know vertigo obviously its roots are completely in uh 2000 and ad you know like for vertigo to take off the dc line of vertigo it could never happen, not only because they stole all the writers and artists from 2000 AD, but the idea of writing a comic that um, is more than just Biff Pow Punch, you know, it, it was, uh, there's, they're, they're, they're so in, inextricably linked. Oh, well, oh, totally. I mean, you know, Karen Berger herself has admitted that, you know, without 2000 AD, there is no vertigo. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, I watched that movie, Future Shock, and she's in yeah, there. Future Shock, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That was it's very good. Great, great documentary, so I recommend that yeah. as well. But like you say, those people that you know, you know, uh, as, as being those sort of like the British Invasion, uh, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, um, Warren Ellis, you know, Neil, Neil. Gaiman, yeah, yeah all, all cut their teeth on 2008 to, to a degree, you know, all, all did something. I mean, um, one of the things that sort of, I mean, Alan Moore in particular, he's one of these, everyone talks about Watchmen, everyone talks about, you know, the American stuff, but like, you know, the Ballad of Halo Jones, um is a fantastic piece of work I mean, it's only three it's three books which you know they're not huge books but they're three it's three volumes as it were incomplete so it never got it and it was never complete but reading that like you can see these ideas that come out down the line that were like oh okay that's that's how he sort of formed it and did something with it so yeah they're the, they're the ones that i think you know uh 2000 has got a lot to answer for uh for modern comics yeah well and i think that's what's interesting about dread is that you know, as I'm as you read Dread, so like you said, you're born in '81, and and one of my favorite movies that I watched way too young, and of course I didn't know who Dread was in the early '80s, was uh, Escape from New York, mm. and Snake Plissken. I mean, you know, John yeah. Carpenter clearly read The Cursed Earth and was like, I can I can make that a movie, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll just yeah. instead of it being in the, I'm just going to make it in New York where the Earth, the Cursed Earth, that's where prosperity is. I'm going to, you know, mega city this idea. So I, I just you see so many fingerprints and um, and how dread has become, you know, this this icon. And I think everybody has um, anybody who's listening to this anyway would at least say like, oh, at least I know who you know. I kind of know who he is. I've either seen this Stallone movie or whatever. Um, but I really want to dig and we'll talk, we can touch on that stuff, but I really want to get into this idea because what you just mentioned, there's so many different writers and artists mm. and the original writer and artist didn't actually write their first appearance of dread. That actually didn't come out until way later, which in the complete collection, um, the dread, the complete case files, the original dread, uh, story is in the back, which was yes. cool to see. Um, so talk about that a little bit and what, and, um, and how you think that, that determined who Dread would be, the fact that this original story was actually considered too risque for publication and what that did to him and, and what they were allowed to get away with. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I say, so when they were creating 2000 AD, they were obviously they, they were shaping characters, throwing out character designs and all different bits and pieces. And this idea of Dread, uh, this future cop, had sort of been bandied around and sort of John Wagner and, and Pat Mills had sort of talked about it repeatedly. And the idea they had was like, what would it be? What would Dirty Harry be like in the future? Like, you know, what 
in this sort of environment. And so initially it was supposed to be more of a detective story. Um, and then they sort of said, oh, okay, well, you've got to future it up. Let's give it some ideas. And then they gave it to Carlos Esquera, who a uh, Spanish artist, and just said, like, this is our thoughts. Go crazy. And so he, he put this, this idea together, this, this uh, model for a character. And it is actually very similar to what, what exists today. I mean, it's been fine-tuned over 40 years. But it was, it's, it's all there. You know, the, the big shoulder pad, the eagle on the shoulder, the helmet, the knee pads, the boots. All, all, it's all there in that original concept. Um, but when John Wagner saw it, who is synonymous now with Dread, like he is probably the main writer for 40 odd years. When he saw it, he was like, no, nah, I don't like this. He looks like a pirate. It's rubbish. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's crazy. And so, yeah. And so he was like, don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And um, so they, they, they called on other people and they were sort of calling on a bunch of guys to do this stuff. And they were sort of talking to a lot of people. And uh, so really the sort of the first people to do this um, and be sort of recognized for it was, was actually a guy called Mike McMahon. So Mike McMahon took that design and said, actually, like, we can do something with this. There's a real uh, opportunity. Here. Like, there's something we can do with this. Let's, let's see what we can do. Let's fine tune it, as I say. And so they, he, they, he did like another character design. In that character design was a lot more refined. It was the, the, the lines were a lot more sharper and that sort of thing. Um, and then they brought an, another writer. And this writer who wrote this first ever story, as you sort of said, um, was an accountant. Like, no way. Yeah, he was a fan writer and he, he just picked up the story, he sent it into Pat Mills and they were like, yeah, let's do that. Let's draw it up, see what it does. <laughs> and and that was what, that's what happened. And so that was the first ever Judge Dredd story. Um, and in there, Ed there issue was, two? Yes. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it got back and forth. And, and so, so John Wagner uh, sort of saw that there were other people getting involved and, oh, that character design has been changed a little bit. And, oh, that first story is probably not exactly what I want. So, all right, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take this back as it were. And he, he did, he sort of took on the reins and, and, and the rest is sort of history. Really. And he did and Robot also, Wars was his first big arc, right? That Yes. That, yeah. Yeah, yes. which we'll talk about in a minute. And um, my disdain for Walter, I will. Um, <laughs> Walter the Wobot. I really dislike him and we'll discuss that. And I've got a few questions for you about that. So, so right, obviously the original, because 2000 AD isn't the way that we Americans think of a comic where it's, um, you know, you're going to buy an issue and it's going to be this story. And maybe occasionally, like the new Hill House comics, Joe Hill um, Stephen King's son has a new horror line for DC and in the back yeah. he's got a running story kind of like mm-hmm. um, you know what they did and what Alan Moore did in Watchmen where there's that other pirate story there. Yes. it's very similar to that so you have to buy all the Hill House though to get that to get that complete mm. story and it's an add-on at the end and Ahoy Comics does this where they add short stories at the end but in general <clears throat> you see 20 to 25 pages of one story and the interesting thing about these early Dread stories is they are completely disparate. Like you said, that our first mm. one was some rando fan fiction thing. Um, and so the first, until the Robot Wars, really, it's like every week, because 2008 comes out every Monday, right? So, so yes. every week, it's a different seven or eight page, just kind of self-contained Dread story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really all over the place. Like, I feel those original runs, I went back and read them again, and wait, there's really no consistency there. So do you think, my question to you, the Dread Expert, do you think it was just the look of him and the feel of it and because it was so shocking and kind of a little, 
mean, when we think of it now, it's pretty tame. But in 1977, it was pretty ultraviolet. Was that what kept it going? Because there's really, it, it is so inconsistent. And it would be like saying, well, this week, Batman is wearing, you know, a, he's wearing a bright red suit. And the next week, his suit is bright green. And the next week, he's, and, you know, that's how inconsistent it kind of felt, but just the tone Oh, no, you are right. You are totally yeah. right. I mean, one of the things that that, uh, that is interesting in those first books is, is that thing. That you look at that and you sort of say, like, they didn't really know what Mega City 1 was. They didn't really know how the judges work. I mean, if you actually look in that very, very first story, it actually says in there um, that the judges are an elite squad that support police. Yeah. Not That's, that they are the police, right? Yeah. So the original, the original like, intention was that they were almost like a like a um, the riot squad, almost of like you know like an elite part of the of an existing police force, uh, and the police were still the police. And, and you actually see that there are there are panels in the in the first two stories actually with vehicles on that say police. <clears throat> so the, the, the you know like you say the concept of the judges being the law enforcement, you know. Um, uh, unit didn't come till a little way in and it sort of evolved and so yeah that, that really up until you get to like, the robot wars sort of like you know the call me kenneth uh, stories yeah um y- yeah it's really finding its feet um and if I, well actually the, the thing to note is it wasn't even the top story in 2000 ad probably until cursed earth um there were other stories in there that were really getting people's attention like it was constantly in the top three or four so it was always there, which is why they kept coming back to it. But um, there were others that were that were uh, more popular at the time. But yeah, no, it's a bit all over the place. And again, yeah. I think it was because they were finding these different people that wanted to contribute and it had no Bible, as they say now. Yeah, well, I think that's right. And I think there's, great right, because there, you can't really say there's a dread canon because this is the interesting thing about this character that I think makes him so unique is you think of all the other iconic characters, like Wonder Woman 750 recently came out. And you think about how many times her origin has been rewritten. And, you know, some people say, oh, no, no, I like the Jill Thompson one. Or, no, no, the most recent Ruka one is the way. Or, no, you got to go back to the original Marsh one or whatever. And there you have that debate. And, and with Dread, other, like, I pretty much think after Call Me Kenneth, the judges were established. Mega City 1 was mm-hmm. the thing. And I'm sure that's because Wagner came back for that. But, um... You do so. It's almost like you take this early thing, almost as like a, is we're just trying stuff out, mm. and and from that moment forward, I, what I find really amazing is while the writing has has evolved and changed the way that we just view comics, the art has gotten a little bit better. They've added color because you know a lot of two thousand eight is in black and white. But I think I think there's this overall consistency of what of what this is, and I think mm. that is kind of endearing to it, and it makes him a character that you could, in theory, right now today, if you were never read a Dread comic, pick up the most recent issue of Dread, and that's who he is. And while he's an old man now, because um, he's aged in real time, you, you still have an understanding, like you could, you could, you get a feeling like there's no 12 storylines there. And I yes. think that's such a unique thing. So what is it about, do you think, Dread that makes that, that makes him one of the few characters that, that once you get that first, let's say what, 10 issues out of the way where it's just like all over the place. He's, he's been able to remain consistent where no other character has. And an upcoming episode of this, I'm going to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the tone mm. of that now is absurd. And the original run in Mirage Comics was really pretty dark. And so, you know, we're going to have a conversation about that. And most people have no idea if they read those original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they would be shocked. 
Um, but with Dredd, you know what you're getting. So what is it about him, do you think, and this world, Mega City One, that makes, that, that, that kind of asks for that consistency or even allows it? Is it just the sensibility of Pat Mills at, at 2008 Days that says, I, this yeah. is how I want it? I think, I think what, what happened was, and one of the key things that sort of worked for Judge Dredd was they, they sort of, they struck a character formula. That, I think that's the only way to describe it. Because Judge, Judge Dredd has, hasn't changed. Is in the sense, what you say, he, he has aged in real time. And you could even say that he has mellowed with age, you know, in, in some way. And he's become a bit more of a rounded character. But he hasn't changed. Like, he is still you know, uh, the lawman and, you know, I am the law. The, the law is his religion and it's, there is no point at which you, he will question that, um, you know, in any real way. And to be honest, like, Dread is a blank slate. Dread is a non-character. Um, you know, we've never seen his face. You've never seen him in any of the uniform. You know, he doesn't have an alter ego. Dread is Dread. He is a blank slate. Um, and, and I think that's why it works because really, for all intents and purposes, like you, like you say, you can place dread in any scenario. And as long as you've got the world around him working, that's how it works. Dread is going to go in and kick ass regardless. Yeah. You know, he's not a negotiator, you know, he might try for a couple of minutes and he's like, ah, I'm going to shoot you. It's easier. Yeah. Um, and so really what you get is the reason I think he works is they just found a tone really for, for the world. And so you can, if you mentioned Batman, and I think you know when Batman is at his best, like he can be anything. You know, you can have Batman '66, and it's still Batman. You can have, uh, you know, Frank Miller, and it's still Batman. It's, it'll go that gamut. And with Judge Dredd, the point is, it's a satire. Yeah. But, you know, and so as long as you understand that, like you can have a comedy, you can have an action adventure, you can have a thriller, you can have a detective story, or a, whatever you want, and it's still Dredd. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we're going to mention like the Cursed Earth saga yeah. uh, in a few minutes. And that's Dread, really, for the, for the most part, in full like action adventure mode, you know. Um, but there are still stories like in the later era, there's a, I mean, there, there's a, a story where he, you know, he gets drugged and he, he has a, uh, a magic roundabout hallucination. And it's got Dougal <laughs> the dog in it and Zebedee and all that. It's all in there. And it all comes back to this, dr- he gets drugged. But it's still dread. Like, you know, Even in the fantasy land, he's still looking he's still, for rules. Yeah, he's still like you know growling and grumpy and like you know that's dread. That's who he is. And so I think that's why he works. Is dread is a, is dread, and I think the fun and the satire and then comes from his wider world. I mean, Mega City One is a canvas in which you can paint whatever picture you want. Um, again, like you know, you can do a story like uh, there's a story called America. In the yeah, Japan. you did a show about that. That was excellent. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, from the early '90s, and it's 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 one. It's told from uh, the point of view of a young girl called America, who was an immigrant who settled in. I mean, it's, it's so relevant that story is now. But she and her family settled in in, in Mega City One and to, to succeed the American dream, and then she obviously realizes as she gets older that the American dream is dead. You know, democracy is is dead, and uh, she gets into this group called uh, you know all about democracy and tries to sort of figure out how that you know can work. Um, and eventually, like she witnesses, um, she witnesses her boyfriend being shot in a protest, and eventually she is killed. 
and the end, like, so you don't really see dread in this at all. He sort of comes in and out of it, and he's part of an investigation. But it ends with them trying to attack, uh, if I remember rightly, the Statue of Justice, which is a big judge, a big judge next statue. to the Statue of Liberty. Right? Yeah. Well, in fact, more than that, over. Over. That's right. That's right. Okay. And that's that's. I mean, that's a wonderful image. Yeah. Um, and the end of it is basically sort of like she's been shot, and it's got Judge Dredd walking down to inspect the body, and he stood on an American flag. And he basically saying, like, you know, democracy is dead. Like, we are the law. And if you can't comply with the law, so are you. you right. know, and that's it. And, and it's, like, it's like, oh, my God, that's so dark. You know, like, Dredd is, a, is basically a fascist foot soldier. Oh, not basically. He absolutely no, he is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then in the next issue, they'll have a story where some evil, you know, like muties or aliens have come and they're sort of threatening citizens. And you know what? He's going to ride in his lawmaster and save the day. And he's back That's to it. being the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well, like, so, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No. And so that's it. So he can play both parts. And for some reason, we accept it. And yeah. It's, and it's I, fascinating. I think it is fascinating because, uh, you know, it, it is... Um, the interesting thing about Dredd in these early stories, and, and you know, when we think about the robot wars, for example, it was a smart choice by them. This is in the late, this is like late 77, early 78 when, the, when these come out. And, um, and it's this idea of, it's a commentary on automation. And, you know, again, you talk about relevancy as well. The, the robot wars, I hate Walter so much. I hate everything about him. And um, when they go to the moon and they go to Luna One and Walter's mm-hmm. there, I mean, I just... On, on multiple occasions, when Walter almost dies, I get very filled with joy in rooting for him <laughs> to die. Um, but, but regardless, and I get why he's there. Dread needs someone to talk to. Um, he, you know, he isn't going to have any friends, so his, his mm. robot friend makes more sense because there's always the "is he a robot?" conversation they they have. But, but um, what I find really fascinating about him is, is about the, that that run was this commentary, this, this social satire. And not all satire has to be funny. And I think we hear that word satire and we automatically think mm. it's funny. But it is, I mean, there's some laughable moments in there. Um, the social commentary on automation. And so here we are now, it's 2020, and we see everything that Drudd, that, and this was supposed to be 2199 when he's having this, yeah, yeah. or 2099 when he's having this fight, um, is, is coming to fruition. And it was just really fascinating. And it's like, is, so I guess, is that what we would do? Do you think, I mean, like when the, you know, not necessarily like in the Asimov way of the robots rising, but this idea of, of this, this, this warning that automation is coming and it's going to take over and you have to be vigilant. And yet only dread, only this person who sees things in complete black and white is able to see it where the rest of us are like, yeah, I'll just add an Alexa and let her talk, let you know, tell her everything that happens in my life. And I'll have a, whatever, I'll, everything is recorded. I'll have 10 devices in my home that listen to me constantly. And I'm totally fine with that. And, and, and that if, if dread existed today, he would have like a safe room in his house where there'd be, you know, cut mm-hmm. off from the world. Um, yeah. You'd be like that dreads crazy, but he seems so smart. And so is that part of his appeal? Like we understand he is absolutely a fascist soldier. But the, what makes him a hero is that he's almost always right, or he is always right, because he's he's thinking clearly. Does it, you know? Do you go? So no, I, I, yeah, I, I do, I, it's funny because it's, it's again, it's one of those things that you, you said about the satire is that I think you know, especially John Wagner, uh, and there's, a, there's there's one or two other writers that have managed it, where for that exact reason that he is right, but he's almost right 
not so much for the right reason. It's just like you said, because he's black and white. It's like mm-hmm. the robots are a really good example. Is because that comes up again. There's a, there's a um, there's a story that comes along later on called Machismo, which is all about these sort of like mechanical judges that, that, that are introduced. It, goes, it sort of harkens back to the robot wars and this this idea. And he's constantly like, even like as he is in the robot wars, he's like, this is this is you know I don't like this. I don't, you know it's clearly not it's clearly not going to work out. And he keeps telling people, and then it's this thing of like, why is nobody listening to me? And it could have gone the other way. You know, it could always go, you know, the other way. And the, the thing with Dread is that he will never actually say, I told you so. Right, it's sort of, never. It's just sort of like, well, I'll fix it for you, move on. And, and so you sort of you end up questioning yourself because you're a bit like, um, was he right? Or, hmm. So, yeah. I think he is, and well, and it is, it, and that's part of the the thing that that where his appeal comes from. Because if you just describe the character, there's this guy. He is the law. If if he wants to, he can kill you. If he wants to free you, he can free you. If he wants to, whatever he wants to do. Like there's the one issue early on where he stops the person who's selling stolen goods, and then he arrests the person for buying the stolen goods. And like, what a mm. turn, you know? But that also explains to you exactly who he is. Like. Yes, you, this guy's, oh, Dread, thanks for saving us. He's like, well, you're arrested too, citizen, for receiving stolen goods. And, you know, it's like that's the final panel. And he's like got his fists all wrapped up in the guy's shirt, you know, really viscerally. And it was just really, um, I thought that was really, I laughed actually when, when, when I read that, that panel because it's like, oh, that explains exactly who he is. That could turn you off, but you could also be like, salute you, Judge Dread. Like, you, you can't be bent. You can't be bought. There is no, like... There's no fine line. The law is the law. And so robots are bad. Robots are bad. You could be wrong. You could be right for the wrong reasons. He is right for the wrong reasons all the time. And I think like that's almost like lovable in some way because um, it's, it's in a world where you never know what's coming from day to day. You never know what mistake is going to happen. You never know uh, what's coming around the corner. Dread's always going to be dread. His black and white nature and the way that he, that comes through in the robot wars. And then, mm. Um, the follow-up story to that was um, the Lo- when they send him to the moon, to Luna yeah. 1, um, which was also, again, and I want to come back to this. I'd like to get, you know, I, I don't want to shit on it too much because I think it's really brilliant, but there's some, there's some stuff in the Robot Wars and then there's stuff in the Luna 1. Um, that it, and I wonder, is, you know, if it's just because it was written in the 70s, um, there's two things that, that kind of drove me crazy with this. Number one, Walter. And again, yeah. I understand why he's there, but I really dislike him. It just, it seems so tonally different. He disappears after a while, though. They do get rid of him. Like, eventually he leaves. He's not yeah. in the cursed earth at all, so that no. makes me happy. But, um, and I understand, like I said, I get Dread needs somebody to talk to at first. Um, because, mm. it, you know, so that's what he's there for. Um, he's there to be, like, Walter is us. Like, Walter is yes. our, like, our way in. Like, to, we can't understand Dread with this kind of silly, lovable robot. Like, we're just regular dumb humans, and we can be yeah. Walter. So I get it. Um, but then when they go to Luna 1, it's the same thing. Some of the dialogue, and I understand it's of its time, but the expositionary nature of it early on, and this goes away a little bit during Cursed Earth. There's some, but it goes away there. And, you know, the modern Dread stuff that I've read, and really modern comics in general don't have hmm. this talking exposition but it was so much early on it felt a little super frenzy and how much he explained everything that he was going to do and instead of letting the art work and i wonder (laughs) is that an 2008 i know this happened a lot in the 70s so it could just be of its time but is this just was do you think 
this was needed because it's black and white? Do you think this was just because it's of its time? Or what, what is your, what do you think about that? As yeah, a- it's, it's interesting because I know what you mean. Because some of it, I'll, I will, like you say, I will actually admit there were a couple of, of uh, some of the strips or for some of the, the issues that are almost unreadable. Like you go back to them and you have to get through them. You're right. But yeah, they're almost unreadable. You just enjoy the art. Um, but uh, it, I, I don't know. I think, you're right. I think a part of it is it's of its time. Um, I also think the other thing that, that sort of they couldn't get away from was it was a new story. And this, you know, they, they were trying to build a world. And you're right. I mean, they send him all over the place. Like, you know, they, you, you get a glimpse of, of Mega City One. And then they send him to the moon. And he meets sort of like, he, he meets like Russian judges and, you know, people that are living up there. And, and cowboys. And yeah, everything's this. so. The ideas are coming so thick and fast that I almost think that there's an element of like, okay, well, we're going to have to explain this, and you know, you've got to keep. And I think it changes because I think they begin to trust the readership more. That like, do you know what? If you don't keep up, tough, you'll get it eventually. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, this is the world. Like you say, the the, the justice system is the same all over the place. Blah blah. blah. Get on with it. Um, and I, but I do. I, I think it was. It was just the other thing to remember is that a lot of these guys came from um, earlier work as well. Like there were a lot of young guys in there, but a lot of them had come from other stuff as well and done things like you know girls magazines, romance magazines, and kids comics. And if you were coming from something that was explicitly a kids comic, that was pretty much how they were written. And in some cases, they sort of still are. So it was probably a habit in many cases, that it sort of falls away towards towards the, the late, latter part of this first volume. Yeah, I think that's, I think your line there, that was really insightful, that trust the reader. And you're right, anytime you start something new, you have to explain a few things. But I also feel like comics is a visual medium. Mm-hmm. And in a novel, if, if, it were, if Dread were a character in a book, like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of like Robert Parker Spencer or, you know, uh, what's his name? Patterson has mm. his guy. Um, I can't even think of his name right now. He's done, uh, Alex Cross. He's done all these books. So, you know, at the beginning, you're going to do some exposition and there may be you have to kind of reiterate because what if you're picking up the 10th book or the 12th book or whatever? You need a little bit of that. But in a novel, you're kind of expecting internal dialogue if it's a first person book. Um, but a comic book inherently is a third person um, situation so we're looking yes. at it and i just think there's the opportunity there like you said to trust the reader and it could just be because i really started reading comics when i was 12 so i was mm. i was 85 and um and by then you know like denny o'neill's batman was you know really influential in my early life and i and jim apro's art style of batman where there was just a lot of things that were just happening there'd be pages with no words and i was yes. just allowed to do that and i think dread works best when he has less to say and more to do. Yes. And that's where Luna drove me nuts because he had, he had a lot to do, but like you said, what a cool idea, but I just didn't get, and again, you know, we're second guessing geniuses. So who are we, but to say, why didn't you just have those things come to mega city one? Why does he have to leave mega city when you're just building this world? Unless there was some like legal thing with you know Esquada who's like ah, I don't want that anymore like I don't understand no, no, it's it's, it's square yeah it's one of those things I think like you say it's not you know it's not um, trying to think that's the way like I think it was just the rush of ideas you know this is an idea with interstellar travel or oh, we've got to, we've got to leave the planet then you know because sure. 
and, and to me, like you say, Mega City One is such a fascinating place um, to explore and have stories in. But they, I think, at that point, early on, they were still like, "Yeah, but we've got to go up to the, you know, we've got to go into space. Then we're going to go to the cursed Earth, and then we're going to go here, and then we're going to go there." And so you're a bit like, "Oh, okay, well, there's all these stories to tell, but, but, you know, what? Why not stick them all here?" And I just don't think, again, they hadn't quite grasped what they had with. Um, with Mega City One, uh, they do later. Like you know, and, and, and if I'm if I'm reading it correctly, is right after Cursed Earth, he comes back to Mega City One, and that is when the Dread magazine begins. And so, is that when they kind of keep him there? Am I right you know, on well, the yeah, no, uh, to, to, uh, the Just Dread magazine sort of comes in early nineties, like ninety two. Oh, really? So this so, was yeah, still in. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so what, I mean, the story you get to Cursed Earth is, I mean, Dread does not get. So we'll, we'll talk about Cursed Earth in a minute. But yeah. Like, there's no let up. Like he comes back and finds that, like basically, uh, a judge called Caligula has taken over. Oh, good lord! And, what a um, name. <laughs> yeah, and, and so you get a story called uh, "The Day the Earth Died," and basically, Judge Dread is. Uh, put on trial and then sort of like you know in and it's uh, it's a it's a fun story but it's more light-hearted um it's a little bit more light-hearted than uh um the cursed earth is in many ways yeah well let's so, talk about cursed we keep dancing hmm. around it so let's just get there so cursed earth the the overview is Mega City 2, which is the essentially the entire western seaboard mm-hmm. uh California probably all the way up does it go to Alaska or is it just like encapsulate that part of Canada into Vancouver there? It's just, yeah, just sort of up to Vancouver. It's most of the East, uh, the West coast. Really, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, so you're thinking California, Washington, Oregon, British mm. Columbia. So that's your, there you go. So turns out there's a, like a friend of dread shows up in mega city one. He's under quarantine. There's a plague, tutti fruity plague, which yeah. is a whole other issue with some of the language choices in this, mm. um, in this series, but again, you have to explain it's of its time. But um, so Dread decides he's going to get this uh, biker guy called Spikes, and they're going to go across. They're going to get on their bikes. They're going to drive the um, drive the the cure to make it yeah. in the Killdozer, and yes. um, which I love because in Idiocracy, there's the Dildozer. Which is yeah. pretty funny, um, which I, you know, so that's, that's hysterical. Anyway, so that's the plot, and this is this um, massive twenty-five issue, real, like you said, action adventure story. Mm. Um, the terrible um, ninety-five, and I'm sorry, you may like it. And the nineteen ninety-five Judge Dread um, with Stallone. They you kind of witness the scorched earth a little in some of the people that they meet in this. Um, but my thing for the scorched earth when I read it is and this is you're british and i'm american and there's this even in american there's america there's this commentary on flyover country yeah. um and and that's to me what this commentary was from a british perspective it's this oh, this is totally. what we think of middle america you guys are a bunch of dummies who do back assward things and really what you need is to just be wiped out um the burger wars is insane yeah. <laughs> that shit is insane so what I mean, that I got you know, ba- say that got banned. Crazy, right? Talk yeah, that was that. that that wasn't so. Um, f- so there's a couple of issues, and it actually includes sort of like you know mutants, weird versions of Ronald McDonald and uh, the Colonel and these sort of characters and the Burger got, King, the Burger King. And when they were released, they were released obviously in in the comic form, and the uh, 2000 AD uh, at the or 
the company that did it at the time, were sued. Uh, McDonald's sued them <coughs> and said, uh, yep, yeah, you can't use those. Uh, we, we don't want our characters being used in such a way. So those issues got pulled. Well, they didn't get pulled. They just never got reprinted. So every collected edition of The Cursed Earth, up until about, I think, 2015, 2016, didn't have them in. They were only reinstated yeah, in the last couple of years. That's and that is crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not, I mean, then yes, it's clear what it is, but it's also, again, it's satire. And it's yeah. um, the commentary there on that there's these hamburger wars. And you're right, the Colonel is in there. And there's this whole universe where there's all these like um, commercial icons come to life and they live and kind of do battle and they're being killed. And it's absurd. But it, honestly, uh, I thought, what a commentary on the even. So this is 1978 when they're writing this, and it's crazy for me to think that now here we are again, just like the autonomous robot things and everything else. It's 2020, and we still haven't learned our lesson about buying too much shit. And oh, the, yeah, this, it's I mean, insane. There is stuff in the. I'm going to much. I'm just looking through it now, but there is stuff in this series. That, like you say, they're commenting on, um, you know, uh, prejudices. They're commenting on slavery. They're commenting on, on, on you say, there, there's eco stories, blah, blah, blah. Like, we have not learned a lesson in 30 years, 40 years. And it's fascinating that this was what they were saying. Like, yeah, there's um, all these ideas that, that, you know, were being put out there. And, and they were making a stir. I mean, don't forget, like, you know, this is still a relatively conservative Britain at the time um that was that was having these sort of stories about there and there were questions of whether or not children should be reading these comics yeah well i i get that too though i mean i i understand um that argument uh you know the 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 interesting thing about it and i think i'm sure this is pat mill's plan there's no swearing in these early issues there's no nudity the blood is kind of black well it's black and white so even Mm. all the it's kind of bloodless it's it's a PG-13 uh, thing. I mean, you can say, oh, well, Dread kills people and there's these mutants and there's all these horrible things that happen. There's cannibals. But, you know, all that is really off screen. Yeah. He kills robots. Exactly. And that's yeah. the thing, like you say. And they were very much like, you know, oh, he's killing these people. Well, no, they're not. They're muties and they're, their blood is green. Or, yeah, they're robots. Or, I mean, you know, th- this... this um, still happens today i mean if you to go to the avengers or suicide squad those films you know and you go oh they killed loads of people well no they didn't they killed a bunch of jitari or well no they didn't in suicide squad they killed a lot of people who've been possessed or whatever it's the same thing isn't it it's that thing of like oh we can get away with all this action but it's not really action because it's not really humans right um, and but dread and that's the thing where walter and then in the cursed earth tweak come yeah. to come into play because there's these like like it shows a, a side of of humanity in dread and that where because in there's a line that i wrote down as i was reading it dread this is the only time i saw this in the first 85 issues where you see kind of like Starlog from dread where he writes you see dread's hand on a note piece of paper it says sometimes the human race makes me sick yes and it is like i mean you 
that's when you go from satire to like, listen, you are still not paying attention. So I'm literally going to write this on the last page of my I've, comic I've book. Lit- I've literally got that page in front nice. of me. That, there it is. So, so it's, it's like you yeah. cannot get away from what they're trying to say. It's the last page of a panel in that week's issue. And, yeah. and it didn't get there. And I wonder, like you said, it's a conservative Britain. And, you know, mm. in this, in the Kirster, Jimmy Carter's been, who was the president at the time, was added to Mount Rushmore. And they actually blow his teeth off yeah. um, with the killdozer. And it's absurd. It's, you know, but... But there's this, so, so again, it's like you're saying, should we hand this to our children? Is this okay for people to read when you're, when you're making fun of us and you're saying, um, is it, and, and I think in general with satire, do you think, this is how I think reading Cursed Earth because I was like, wow, this is, and I understand, I've always understood it's a satire. It's, it's acknowledging fascism is bad, but it's also acknowledging why we as humans kind of let fascism happen because mm-hmm. you, you see like, well, people aren't going to want to work more than 10 hours a week, I think is in one of the early issues of the show. And you're like, oh, what are they doing all day? Well, they've got robots. That was the beginning of the robot wars is the robots are doing all the work. That was right. So um, humans are lazy. They don't want to focus on anything that's hard they want to lay around they want to eat they want to um get fat they want to have sex they don't care about hard work and so it's easy so there's this guy judge dread who's willing to take care of things for you the judges you're happy to turn it over to them as long as there's no static in your life and then when you go out and see the effects like people i mean mega city is a shithole but then you go to the cursed earth and it's literally a wasteland where there's cannibalism and mutants and all this other stuff and so it's like, it's almost saying, here are your two options. This is these, you're either heading to fascist or you're heading to um, Mad Max chaos wasteland. You can, you, you don't have to let that happen. And, and it's not like what I find really fascinating about Judge Dredd is he's, this, char- this story isn't telling us how to fix ourselves. It's just saying, do something. Mm. Uh, right? Yeah. That's it. I mean, the fact of the matter is that like, Dread in himself, Dread in, in his in himself, isn't evil or anything like that. He, like I say, he's a satire. Um, but one of the things is, like you say, the world is the world is surrounded. The world that has enabled him to be to be who he is. I mean, the laws in Mega City include like you know, sugar is banned, coffee is banned, and you know, any can't form smoke of sti- on the street. Yeah, that's it. Any form of stimulant is, is is illegal, and you'll get like multiple years in ISO cubes and all this other stuff like. The laws are really strict, but you, you're really quite, you know, you should be safe. But then you sort of get to think, well, there's a whole bunch of automation, so employment, unemployment's really high. Um, mega city one, despite being a mega city, is crammed. Like, you know, it's meant to be sort of like 400 to 600 million people in this one area. So what do you do with yourself? Like you say, they take on these weird... And that's the thing, it's a commentary on people as well, because they take on these weird hobbies. I mean, there's a thing called the League of Fatties, and these are the people that get so, so obese. They've got things called belly wheels. So they've got a wheel under their belly to sort of like help them along. And they are, you know, the, the idea is to be the fattest. Or there's a guy called Otto Sump who will make you ugly because it's cool to be ugly, and you'll have all It's just, it's the boredom. It's like all this thing will create a boredom. Like we will just fill our time. And the judges are there just to maintain this sort of status quo. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that like, he's predominantly not evil. I mean, the, the state is fascist, but, you know, they don't do anything about it. It does come. I will warn you, it does come. There's a, there's a, there's, there are stories down the line where you get characters that start to question the status quo. Well, that was what America was about. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, even before that, you get a couple that sort of like, there's a couple of stories, like mini stories, they start to trickle that stuff in where someone's like, yeah, this, this doesn't work for me. And the fact that the judges are like, well, tough. That's it, you Right, don't. take the long walk. It's either, yeah. right, you can, because that's always an option for, um, yeah. you know, you can leave. Yeah. Go out there and, but, you know, here's what's out there, cannibals. Um, yes. you're, and it's, so it's, it's, it's as though the, the commentary too is that left to your own devices, the only thing you'll literally, you'll do is eat yourself. Um, and what, what I found fascinating in the after um, the Future Shock movie, they actually acknowledged uh, how much Book of Eli was was stealing mm. from a cursed earth. Which uh, now that I've read cursed earth, the cursed earth, I agree. I see that um, in a different way. You know, it, it's not exactly the same, but it's definitely acknowledging there's this because there's cannibalism in there. And then um, mm. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I don't know if you've ever read that novel. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very eerily similar to this too. Where, but you know. There's only so many. What's going to happen at the end of the world? Are you, are you going to eat each yeah. other or are you going to die? So this is a question that people have to ask. Or, or here's a thought. Do you figure out how to grow something? And nobody does that really. There is a few <laughs> places of, you know, there's the hamburger world. Because the, what are your options? Well, you could go farm. This land could be fertile. And there is, that is mentioned in there, in Cursed Earth. Like you could, you could do something with this land. Why mm. aren't you trying to? But it's because eating each other's easier and it's just this commentary on our laziness and and that's why i think to me you know having spent this this last you know week or so preparing for this thinking about dread um dread is the warning you you mm. you shouldn't hero worship he's not a hero no no if you think dread i mean dread is a great character you can look yeah. at him and go oh my god he's amazing it always here's what's fascinating to me is you know darth vader sells more merch than anybody yeah. else. He's the villain. Mm. He's also a fascist. Um, and, and he also be- believes things too extremes where he's willing to kill you. But people like secretly love, not secretly, people overtly love him. And it's the same with Dredd. And it's, it's also, I wonder, like I would love to hear what John Wagner or George Lucas has to say about like, I didn't want you to, if you want to wear an <laughs> I am the law shirt, that's one thing. Yeah. But if you like, Wear an I am the law shirt because you think dread is your spirit animal. You've got issues. That's what I think, but I don't know. No, I agree. No, I agree. It's it's funny because it, he falls into a, he falls into a character, and you know he falls into this pot of characters that people seem to enjoy and they say respect or they'll they'll you know they'll uh, elevate that that really shouldn't. I you know dread. You're right. Is there like Darth Vader is cool because he's got an iconic look and also and also other stuff and people go oh yeah Darth Vader's cool great but he's not an aspirational character. The other one I think about, in fact, there's two, really, because you think about it, like Rorschach in Watchmen yeah. is fundamentally very sort of like similar to Dread. Like, you know, he's black and white. He's very sort of on that conservative line. You are right or wrong. And if you are wrong, you're a dirty scumbag and I'm going to kill you sort of thing. And I think Alan Moore has actually said, and I've, I've said this on several podcasts, so like Alan Moore has said, like, if, if he starts a conversation and someone says, I love Rorschach, like, he will exit that conversation because he's like, well, you're wrong and you've clearly got issues. I'm backing off. You're missing the point of Rorschach. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think the thing is, the clever thing that, that, that both Dredd does and Alan Moore did with Rorschach is he introduced Rorschach at the very beginning. So you, you sort of automatically assume, oh, he's our protagonist. He's the person I should be following. So your brain sort of falls into that. And then later on, you start to go, well, actually, no, Walter Kovacs is a real broken person. I'm not comfortable with this. 
it's the same for Dredd. Like, you know, initially you think, oh yeah, Dredd's the protagonist. He's a hero. He's, he's protecting these people. And then you read it, it's like, actually, he's just as likely to arrest or kill someone as he is to save them. Yeah, and it's irrelevant to him because um, there is one issue that I found really um, funny. Like, I, again, I laughed. Um, Dredd comes back from the moon and he's not been mm-hmm. reinstated yet. And so he walks past all this crime. And he's smiling and everything. Like, it's the only time you see him smile. And then as soon as he gets reinstated, like, you know, random comic book logic, like somebody pulls up. (laughs) And he turns around and then he just goes back and he kicks all these people's ass. That he just let everything happen. And so in his mind, he knew it was illegal, but he just simply, he wasn't required to do anything. So why would he? And again, this commentary of, we, do you run towards dr- trouble or do you run away from trouble? Do you stand in, if you see someone in danger, do you get out your phone and record it? Or do yeah. you just say, can I help you? Do you get out your phone and call 911? I mean, I'm not asking people mm. to run into a br- burning building, but if you have your phone out, shouldn't you be calling 911 instead of recording the building burning down? And yeah. Dredd, again, because he wasn't tasked with doing it, it wasn't his job, he didn't have to, but as soon as it was his job, he did it better than anybody else. And it's this, so it's irrelevant it, to him. It is. And I think, you know, it's, 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 it's a weird dichotomy that they actually bring up in, a, in, you know, it's come up again and again, but it really gets uh, hammered home in a crossover that they have with Batman later on. So there's a book called Judgment on Gotham where Judge Death, who's a character that will come up later on, uh, who is a dimension hopping demon who wasn't a living judge in another dimension, but then due to, due to circumstances is now a living corpse that, just, that sees that all life is a crime. And so the only, the only judgment is death. Sure. Hence judge death. So he ends up in Gotham and Dredd goes after him. So you have a confrontation between judge Dredd and Batman and you get this idea of justice versus the law. Those are different things. Yeah. And so there's this idea that Batman's like, no, this is what justice is. I do this because of justice. And this other thing, and Dredd's like, I don't care about justice. The law says this. Vigilantes are illegal. Right. So you are breaking the law. And it's sort of like, you know, end, as with all crossovers, they end up working together and, you know, at the end. But it does come to this conclusion that actually, yeah, Dredd doesn't care about justice. You know, you could lose your family. And, he, like, you know, but if, if they were sort of, I don't know, having, they had some sort of, uh, you know, um, sachets of Candarel hidden in their sort of, uh, their flat or whatever. Yeah, well, they're criminal. So, you know, you get what's coming to you sort of thing. Yeah, and I think it's, it's really fascinating that here's this, here's a, um, you know, I, 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 that is definitely something I want to get to is the Dread Batman. I've not read that. I definitely think I should. Mm. Um, um, is, is, are Matt and John, is Matt Wagner related to John? No, they're no. not related. But okay. uh, um, he did because he did the Predator crossover with Batman. He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say they're both Scottish and of a similar ilk, so they have a okay, similar, similar, dis- right. similar Fair disposition. Enough. All right. Yeah. Anyway, but the Batman crossovers are interesting, and when I do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle show, we're going to talk about the Batman mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle crossover, which is again farce versus satire. You know, like. Mm. What and you know because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are clearly farce, and you could always argue they were actually part of Daredevil's universe. So for mm. so the crossover that actually made the most sense was them with Daredevil, not with Batman, because they, you know, that would have been awesome actually. Yeah, it actually makes sense that they would yeah. be there. You know, it, I've always thought that, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, different Mirage, you know, it doesn't make any difference. But um, but those are kind of silly, and it's like Batman dealing with their silliness. Um, mm. 
and you know, so it would be fascinating to see uh, Batman versus Dread because you have these these two people who are these two people are characters who are who are iconic that people don't haven't really taken the time to to look into. A, a gentleman I work with um, is a psychologist, and he actually finds Batman fascinating for his psychoses. Um, mm. And and that's so cool that you're saying that Batman is going for justice, and you know Judge Dredd doesn't care about justice. There's no there's nothing wrong with Judge Dredd. He's mentally no. sound. Mm. He is he is like you earlier. You called him a blank slate. He knows exactly what he is. There are so much shades of gray in Batman, which is why we all find him fascinating and why he's everybody's you know favorite. He's the big he him and he and Spider Man are are one and two in popularity all the time because mm. Spider-Man fails all the time and we fail all the time. And Batman lives in this gray area where he's trying to do what's right, regardless of what the law says. And we all kind of feel that way. So it's really cool to say, well, there is no, nothing wrong with dread. There's no, he has got no mental issues. He is, he's not happy. He's not sad. He doesn't <laughs> care. He exists. And, um, and it, so that, that's, that's pretty cool. I'll have to, I'll have to give that a read, but I, I find that dread in these first 85 issues that I, you know, that I've read, you know, in the last couple of weeks or so. And, I, and again, I've read other dread stuff. I read the one that the Carl Urban movie is based on. And, and I've read mm. um, some of the modern kind of like year one judge dread stuff that some of the oh, other. Oh yes. The yeah, IDW yeah. stuff. And all that. The IDW yeah. stuff. I read those. Those are, those are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and so I, I understand where he is there, but I, but I think what I've seen in this, this two year run where every Monday, there's Judge Dredd um, commenting on you. And, uh, and what I find really fascinating about him as a character and what he's, is, is mostly what he says about us. And, um, you know, I, I just keep coming back to this. He's not, you said earlier, you know, Darth Vader's not an aspirational character. But, but is, and neither is Judge Dredd. But what does Judge Dredd say about us? What does Judge Dredd say about, like, can you look in the mirror, you, Scott, when you do you ever see yourself in dread at all? Is that what you think Pat Mills wants us to do with Judge Dredd? Does he want us to see ourselves in him very much like um, V for Vendetta, which is also, you know, like that was a cry against Thatcherism. And we're supposed to see that universe in our own universe. Um, you know, it, 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 do you see that? Like when you look at it, do you like, oh, I see myself in dread? Not not so much in dread because I think there's there's a commitment in dread, almost like monastic, like you know that that sort of level of of uh, to him like the war, the law is a religion. Yeah, <laughs> For and, sure, and, yeah, like you and, said that you know, before. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think that sort of like to, to have that level of commitment, something is is um, you know and that level level of dedication. Like you know, yeah, I'm, I have things I'm committed to, but to that level of sort of almost uh, self destructive a self-destructive level of, of commitment. Like, you know, yeah, I don't know. He, I mean, that's the thing about a dread. Like he does things and he will put himself out like to save a character, a citizen. Like he will put his life on the line and you sort of think, you know, well, it's just, it, it's never really weighed up. You know what I mean? Like he will do it to save one person, which is heroic. And that's great. But then, like you say, you look at the sort of probably look at sorry, with Batman if that, but then you look at the property damage he's probably caused and right, yeah, and, 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 and you know everything else. You sort of like, yeah, I'm not sure it was really worth it, but it, it's sort of like, but it's still defending that law. Um, so I, I couldn't sort of see myself in dread. There are characters probably around him in the world that are more likely to. He's been given 
over the years he's been given additional characters that you look at and go yeah i can see them you know i could look at them and see them and their perspective on dread yeah but yeah ne- never dread i think sort of it's uh and if, and if well, I say one day I did, I think I'd, I'd be in trouble. There's the two Dread movies. And I know we're going to talk about the comics and, and the guys in the comics and motion feed where this will show up. They've covered both of these films, actually. But I, you and I are here talking. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think... I, I feel both films failed for, for different reasons. I think Dread, Carl Urban's Dread failed because it was too uh, like Dread. And I think Stallone's Dread failed because... It was just a Stallone movie that was nothing like Dread. Yeah. And, and so does that mean that Mega City 1, the series that they're making, is also going to fail? Or because Mega City 1 is going to focus on, like you said, the other characters where we, because we don't see ourselves in Dread, but we can see ourselves in Mega City 1 where there's, a, the, there's going to be a different avatar who kind of witnesses Dread and Carl Urban will come in and be the law. And then you'll be like, oh shit, there's Judge Dread, that's awesome. But then Judge Dread leaves and the story can finish focusing on someone who isn't him. Um, and maybe that could work. So why mm. do you suppose this character who is iconic, who's thoughtful, who, who makes us, we've been talking for an hour and we could go, if I had read more, we'd have more to say. Um, why is it that you think um, the films didn't work? Uh, is it we're not ready for it? Why is the comic so popular and the film not? I, I, th- I think it's interesting that, that when we look at characters that have been successful, they've been successful for a reason. You know, they sort of they they, they pick up on an essence. So, and we spoke about Batman. I still don't think that you know the the comic Batman has never truly appeared on in a film. Like variances on it have. You know, you say you take the Michael Keaton Batman or your Val Kilmer or let's forget George Clooney, but then you get your sort of <laughs> Christian Bale. And it, all those versions are a version of Batman, and there's been versions of Batman throughout the years. As you said earlier on, you know, you get your sort of, um, oh, yeah, I really like the Jim Aparo or, yeah, I really like the, you know, Nick Diodato, or I like this, I like the, you know, that sort of thing. He's changed over time. And there's an essence to Batman, but he's changed with the times. Um, and so when you get the films, it sort of plugs into different pieces, and that's why I think they work. But if you look at sort of, say, Iron Man, the MCU is a good example. They they picked a sort of characters. I mean, let's say you know, the the Downey Jr. version of Iron Man isn't the the only version of Iron Man. There are others, but they got it right. They na- they caught lightning in the bottle. The same as I say with like Chris Evans' Captain America, but they got the wider world right as well. It's sort of that, that feels like a lived in a sort of a full world. The problem with Dread is, I think that both the films sort of like they sort of miss the point in different ways. I love Carl Urban's Dread. Like the film Dread is great. It's so I agree. much. It's so much fun. It's badass. I mean, it's really you know, it's uh, ultra violent. It's dark. It's gritty. It gets Dread right. Carl Urban to me is probably the best personification of Dread. The the problem I had with it though is the world he lived in, and the world. So when they did Mega City, Mega City One, it just felt like a. It felt closer to like old Detroit of Robocop. You know, Which you is just a the, dread knockoff anyway. Yes, well, yeah. exactly, yeah. But, yeah. but you could look at that world and go, oh, I recognise that. That, to me, looks like a block of flats or a, a tower block I could go into now. And they had budget restrictions. I get that. But I still enjoy the film. Like, the whole story with Mama. I mean, the, 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 the great thing about Dread is it's a day in the life. Like, he gets... Right. Up, he has, he has it's this just one thing. episode. Yeah, and at the end of it, he's still got out and says, oh, I've still got, like, four hours on my shift. Right, carry on. Um... 
And it, it feels like that. If, if that was a 2008 story, it'd be four issues and you'd be done. Um, the thing with the 95 one, though, it got the world right. So Mega City wanted that because it was big budget. It looks incredible. It's ridiculous sci-fi. You know, you've got flying cars. You've got massive uh, mega sort of blocks. All this stuff's there. And then you've got, like, Dread completely wrong. <laughs> so, it's you know, the, the Stallone Dread, well, first of all, he takes his helmet off. But, and again, I understand why. If you're paying Stallone, you want to see that face, whatever. But, like, oh, even yeah. the character itself, like, it, it ends with him kissing Judge Hershey and smiling what? about it. And you're hell? like, oh. I know. And, you know, um, and he has a comedy sidekick, but... The world itself, even like there's a character, there's characters in the Angel Gang appear in there, and you get like Mean Machine who has a dial on his head, and so he starts at one and goes all the way around to four, and he gets meaner as it goes uh, goes around, and all that stuff is great. Like they're the cannibals we've talked about in the curse. Right. That stuff's great, but Dread himself just feels like a generic sort of like you know you could. Uh, it almost feels like John Spartan from Demolition Man. It's the same. People mix those movies up all, all the time, well, rightfully it, so. Yeah. Yeah, no surprise. So I always wonder, like, if you were to take Carl Urban's Dread, like that, you know, with the, with the same outfit, that gritty sort of like tactical, dirty uniform, and then place him in the 1995 um, Mega City One, I think you'd nail it. <laughs> that yeah. would be the world. But do you think, I agree. I mean, the one thing I have to say is in the 95 version, because of the budget that they had, um, mm. I thought it was a little almost too pretty. Like in my mind, like the distant shot of Mega City 1 was a little too shiny. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of like the dirty. I, I, it's interesting too that, that, you know, those blocks don't exist in America. We don't live, we don't have those. That's yeah. a British <laughs> thing. The blacks like, um, you know, like the film Attack the Block. I don't know if you saw yes. that. But I mean, that, like it, the first time I saw Attack the Block, the title, you know, the block means different things to me. So when I saw mm. it, I was like, oh, they mean this block, a block that goes yeah, up. Tower, oh, tower yeah. block. Yeah, not a block like we have, yeah. which is a square, flat thing where yeah. people live. Um, so, so the thing that I loved about the Dread, the, the, um, that it was dirty. And you're right. It was the budget. They, they had one mm. shot. They had one set. They just filmed the whole thing on it. Um, but I think I always thought that the 95 Dread was a little too clean just a little too pretty but i agree with you that i think that would nail it but the question is still would anyone watch that is dread is he a tv hero and that's the problem and even then it with the tv if you because if you have a tv show and you get a couple million people to watch it's a hit if you have a movie and only two million people go to watch it that's yeah. that's only 20 million dollars so nobody yeah. that's considered a flop so is it that people people is it just like why the comic is still so popular and it's, it's lived for 35 plus years and the, and the movies tank? Is it because in your privacy of your own home, you can read 2000 AD or Judge Dredd magazine or whatever, that new IDW stuff, and nobody, it's just you in your head, you're there. But in the movies, you're going out to the movies. I mean, do you want to be cheering for Judge Dredd? Is, is, there, is there just something about him that, that is just not filmable yeah, in that I think- way? I agree with what you're saying, like you said, because we've said like he's not an aspirational character, but they want to make him one. They want to make him a superhero, and he's, yeah. he's not. And I think you're right. So I think when if you were to take it to TV, give it a good budget, bang it on Netflix or HBO or whatever, like you could do a great show. I mean, you know, there are characters you are you've got more license to make horrible people the protagonist in in TV than you can in um, 
especially in sci-fi they get away with it in sort of sci-fi and fantasy where you can make people like i think of like altered carbon a couple of years ago sort of like you know the main character was a bit of a douche but like you wanted to follow the story or um those sorts of things i think you could definitely do it i think he is a tv character and again like the world needs exploring um you know because although dread is the main character he's one of hundreds of judges Right. I think the idea of calling it Mega City One is the new mm. shoot, as that's the plan for the show. Um, I think that'll work. I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'll watch it because I've, you know, the, the Stallone dread is dreadful. Um, yeah. I really didn't like anything about it. Um, it, it always seemed weird that I, I, we, that's a whole other road to go down, but it just, <laughs> there were lots of terrible choices made there. Um, and I heard they were all Stallone's, you know, um, choices that the, the, the film director, I think, I think that movie, and this is going to sound stupid, would have been more successful if Frank Stallone was the star because he would have kept his goddamn hat on. Yeah. And um, Carl Urban, who is a superstar, in my opinion, he's, Mm. you know, he's, he's a, I think he's an amazing actor. There's nothing he's in where he's bad. He, he, his range is amazing. What he does in The Boys is great. What he did in in Star Trek as kind of a lovable dork was also great. Yeah. He can swing that way. Um, He's like, I'll keep my, I'll keep my hat on. That's fine. And, and I just think it took the right person to understand I have to become dread. I have to, my personality leaves at the door. Yeah. Um, I walk in and I'm dread and then I can take the helmet off and be Carl again. And I think that would actually almost kind of be freeing where when you play other superheroes, you have to have, an, you have to play their alter ego. You have to, that's what, again, why I think people like Spider-Man so much is because Spider-Man and Peter there's no differentiation. Like when mm-hmm. he's Spider-Man, he's still just Peter. Um, whereas everybody else, I think there's a real acting job you have to do to be like, here's what that's, you know, because like Michael Keaton is still a better Bruce Wayne than anybody, in my opinion. Yeah. There's never be a better Clark Kent than Christopher Reeve. End yeah. of discussion. Um, you know, there, you could say, I think Christian Bale's a better Batman, but Michael Keaton's the best Bruce Wayne. That just is what it is. And, and I, but with Dredd, you don't exist. There's, like you said, there's no alter ego. He just is, he's Joseph Dredd. You put mm. that hat on. And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for Mega City One. I think um, I'm really glad you said yes to this because I wouldn't have taken the time to go back and take a look at, you know, 85 issues of, of, the, of the origin of a character um, and really think about, about it in this way because this is not um, – I, I, yeah, I, I think you, you could teach a class on Dread, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I, I honestly do. I think um, Dread – yeah, the, the, so many of the stories can be used in different ways to teach different topics. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that. Like, yeah. like you say, America. There's another one, uh, more recent, which is uh, of a similar thing. It's called Origins, and it gives the full time scale and the full history of how the judges came about. And uh, a, um, uh, it was written in 2007, or released uh, 2006, 2007, and uh, it includes... Um, uh, the last president of the United States, who happened to be a businessman who uh, took over the presidency, right, stole, then, <laughs> stole, the, stole the election and yeah. uh, started a nuclear war to prove the fact that America was best. And he gets Woo! sent out. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> 2006, yeah. huh? Origins. Yeah, because yeah, you learn about him in Cursed Earth. And that yes. is also something that's amazing about this, you know, and that, that they, they I, I can't imagine the, the file they have for... Um, mm continuity um you know because like and so many times again it's like oh we're just going to change jason todd was an acrobat now he's a street rat now he's an assassin whatever you know we did like all other characters get 
reorigined, but Dread doesn't. So I think that's just brilliant. Well, the final question I have for everybody who's coming on this show yeah. that I is so there's a person. So if there's one person that you know, and it doesn't, I guess, have to be an actual person, but um, if it's like a concept of a person, you're going to introduce someone to Judge Dread. Who is it? Who's out there that you think needs to know about Judge Dread and why? Uh, I think I think there's there are four. You know, there's there's early adolescence. Um, you know, I don't really know any any individuals, but like there's early mm-hmm. adolescents that have only known the big two, and I think that's and this is why I love what you're doing because you're introducing Thanks. this idea of the independence and so much more. But those guys that have only read and guys and girls, just so you know, I'm, I'm talking to everybody. But those sort of readers that have only read the big two, so they've only read like you know your trinity of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, or you know uh, Cap, uh, Iron Man, and they've gone to the MCU and I love these films, oh they're amazing. But I'm looking for something a little different, like you know I like I like something a bit grittier. So uh, you know, it's like okay, try this because it's it's a it's a. And to be fair, I mean, dread isn't the I would say dread isn't the end goal. Like this is the I'm opening the door for you read judge dread and sort of you know enjoy the satire if you enjoy robocop read this you'll enjoy the satire um check these out and i think yeah that, that early adolescences will love it because hopefully they get he's not an aspirational character <laughs> hopefully <laughs> but uh, like you say you can read the stories you can laugh at the satire because some, some of this is laugh out loud funny like they have some yeah. great bits um that's what i think that those sort of kids that are looking for something extra and when I, I say because I'm going to get it in. When I say it's opening the door, the thing we should realise is that 2000 AD itself has been around, not just Dread, but 2000 AD has been around since 77, um, and it's got a wealth of characters. I mean, uh, you know, there's uh, the Celtic Warrior Slain, uh, also written by Pat Mills, uh, the ABC Warriors, which is a bunch of interstellar robots, uh, Nemesis the Warlock, uh, Rogue Trooper, which um, the guy who did Moon and uh, David Bowie's son, uh, I forget his name now, Duncan Jones, uh, is is working on a, a Rogue Trooper movie for some nice. point, I think 2022. So, yeah, and there's just a wealth of characters in there that are just sort of like, um, I mean, Grant Morrison wrote Zenith that was in 2018, which is like the anti-superhero comic. He's a guy who is granted superpowers but because he's in his late teens, he's like, yeah, but I'm too pretty to fight. So I'm going to book a rock star with these powers. <laughs> Amazing book. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's an entryway into sort of, everyone thinks oh, it's a British comic. Yeah, but it, it's it's an absolute um, treasure trove of, of awesome, amazingly good independent comics. I think everyone should sort of, you know, give it a, give it a look. Yeah, I agree. For me, I would I would want to hand it to someone who who thinks... Um, there's nothing thoughtful happening. Like it's, this is an art form that has, and that's part of why I want to do the indie comic look is that, Mm. as you know, like with I Kill Giants, we did, and that's really um, powerful and painful and somber and, but beautiful too. And the next episode that's coming out, we, there's a current issue with image called pretty violent with lots of swears, which is kind of uh, another satire about the way we're over violence, uh, and, but they're children and so it's pretty funny it's, it's really really a funny book um let's laugh out loud funny but it, the title is what it is um and so for me i'd want to hand this to someone who's like yeah look at i mean i don't care about people in tights i don't care you know that yes. i think 
I think comic books are for dummies, or I think, oh, you couldn't sit to read a novel. And I think the weight of a, thir- a character that's been around for 35 years and say, okay, here, read this. And yes, get to these first 10. They're bad. But I promise after you get to this, um, you're going to see the actual growth of someone. And it's, 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 you can grow with him. You can disagree with him. And I think handing it to anyone who thinks that comic book is trash, even though it's this ultraviolet kind of absurd um, fascist character, um, it would give them the idea that, oh, no, no, there's a thoughtful story here. And, and like you said, it would open the door for, um, for them to maybe like, oh, well, maybe I should go take a look at some of these other things I didn't know, you know, um, mm. or look at other comics. And even straight up superhero comics, there is some, sometimes um, there's a real deep story. And there are a lot of times just things are smashed and that's what it is. But um, uh, so that, you know, for me, that's where I would go and say like, because I think we don't get the X-Men without kind of thoughtful comics like this. And while X-Men are, are currently considered, you know, they're superhero comics there. They never were. They were always a social commentary. And so, hmm. I, you know, I think anybody who wants to see like, where did the roots of that come from? So, well, listen, man. I totally I, agree. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. I was going to say, just because this, this is what they say about the, so, you know, the, the, the where things have come from. Because that's very much what I do with 20th Century Geek. Like you say, if you, if you want to know where Saga of the Swamp thing Constantine, you know, Hellblazer, uh, Sandman, uh, The Authority. If you want to know where all those came from, that this is where you look. This is the this is the comic that will tell you where to look. Right, and because all those guys started here anyway. Mm. You know, and I mean, if if and if Neil had been Neil even has said right in that document, if he had been treated better, Sandman might have been in t- 2000 AD. Can you, yeah, think about that. That's insane. Yeah. Um, you know, that's to me. You know, to me. We, I'm, we are going to do some uh, Vertigo stuff in here, even though, you know, we're saying the big two. Because I think early Vertigo was not DC. Now it's DC Black. But the early Vertigo stuff was really standalone. And it was just DC cashing in on a, on a name brand or on, mm. a, you know, cashing in without, you know, getting their name dirty is what I mean to say. So um, we are going to do a few Vertigo titles on here just because I think that's important. And to me, cool. Sandman is, you know, is, um, is just almost a perfect... A perfect yeah. run. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful comic. Yeah. 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 So I cannot thank you enough. So tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs. And of course, it'll be on the show notes, but I would love for you to tell yes. everyone. Yes. No, here. thank you very much. Uh, so I have got two, uh, uh, two podcasts, uh, 20th Century Geek, uh, which is me with many, many different people looking at all kinds of things from pop culture in the 20th century. Uh, find us on iTunes and Spotify and all the usual podcast catchers. Uh, and contact me or follow me on Twitter at 20th Century Geek. Uh, and I'm also available on like, Facebook and Instagram, all into 20th Century Geek. And then uh, me and my friend Julia Darius, we do a podcast called uh, Stories Out of Time and Space, the sci-fi movie review show. Uh, and we just pick a, sh- a sci-fi film every other week. And we just go at it and talk about themes, you know, what we like about it, what we dislike about it. And we are available on at Pod Time Space um on twitter and in both of those shows again this is why you were a perfect guest for this because you you don't just say like oh it was funny and it was great you do that but you're also asking what's happening you're asking to say like how does this kind of geek culture really comment on the actual culture and so i appreciate that that there's those are great shows it's good yeah yeah and so i'm actually going to um uh end this show so i want to thank you again for doing this and mm-hmm. everybody can follow me at Tricycle Boombox on Twitter. And if you, if you want to come at us, 20th Century Geek and Tricycle Boombox, talk about dread, tell us what you think. Um, Scott is the, is the dread master, and so I'll chime in on that conversation. <laughs> um, but I'm actually going to end this show the only way that I should end this show, which is with Anthrax, I Am The Law. Yes.
Have a good day, everybody. Thank you.